Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 40, Baby Keith's Birth Story. My name is Jesse Ellertson and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. So today is a very special day for our family. Every year on April 21st, we celebrate what we call the angelversary of our son Keith's birth. He was born in 2015 and he was a stillborn baby and we love to remember him and celebrate his special spot in our family on this day. We have a tradition of going and having a little birthday party at the place that he's buried and we get dinner and we make cupcakes and get balloons and after having a little picnic we write messages to him on the balloons and then we send them off to him for his birthday party and to just involve the kids in remembering him and celebrating him. So in honor of this special day I've decided to read to you guys an account that I wrote after he passed away that details all of the events that happened leading up to his birth and the days that followed. This accounting of his life is very tender and important to me and when I spend time reading it and remembering him and all that we went through during his loss, it is hard and painful but also beautiful and just a really wonderful experience and so I love this time of year and all that it brings up, the good and the bad, and I'm happy to share it with you guys today. So I hope you enjoy. Five years ago this week, I was almost six months pregnant with a healthy baby boy named Keith when his umbilical cord became tied in a knot and he passed away inside of me. I would like to share some excerpts with you from my journal entries from that week. Sunday, April 19th, 2015. It had been a very busy week. Being five months pregnant and having four young kids makes for a busy life. But on top of that, it had been an unusually busy week. So Sunday afternoon when everything was done and I finally sat down to just do nothing and enjoy some time with my family, a thought rushed into my head. Whoa, when was the last time I felt Keith move? His movements have been so subtle this pregnancy with an anterior placenta or the placenta in the front. So when I had that thought, I was sure that everything was fine and that I just hadn't noticed his movements in all the hustle and bustle. But the worry continued to nag at me throughout the afternoon and now that I was paying closer attention... Panic grew as I did not feel him throughout the rest of that afternoon and evening. That evening we had a lovely Sunday dinner, honey chicken and green beans. I tried to stay calm, working to reassure myself that everything was fine and that I was panicking for no reason. It's so easy to worry as a mother. We are always worried for our children. After dinner I attempted to quietly sob in the other room while Brad quickly put the kids to bed. I drank a full cup of orange juice and laid down on the couch to focus on his movements and call my mom. Right after I had explained my situation to my mom, I felt something in my stomach. It was faint, but I thought maybe it was him. I was hoping it was one of those things that when you finally give in and call for help, the problem fixes itself. I continued to lay down and relax, praying for more movement as I talked to my mom. Please kick me, I thought to myself. Nothing. After an hour, we decided it was time to call the on-call doctor. I was so mortified and frustrated with myself that I wasn't able to think of the last time that I had felt him move for sure. At this point, I was 23 weeks pregnant and he was perfect in my 20-week ultrasound. Also, I had just had a checkup on Monday where we had heard his fast, healthy heartbeat, usually about 155 beats per minute. 
Both of these facts seem like evidence that I shouldn't be worried. The on-call doctor recommended that I go into labor and delivery in the Riverton Hospital and get checked. I needed the peace of mind, and I still had a lot of hope that everything was fine. It was late at this point, maybe 10 p.m. With the kids sleeping and Brad and I both wanting to believe that everything was okay, I went to the hospital alone so that Brad could stay home with the kids. In the car, on the way to the hospital, I could not calm down. Part of me just knew that he was gone, but I couldn't face it. I prayed fiercely and told Keith not to leave me and that I loved him so much, and I begged my Heavenly Father to let everything be okay. I was able to somewhat calm down and get checked in at the hospital. I texted Brad, what if something is wrong and I have to face this alone? The first nurse came in and couldn't find the heartbeat, but thought that she heard swooshing noises which could mean movements. I explained that my placenta was anterior and she told me that she was going to get a better machine but that I better call my husband down. My friend Kat came over to our house and Brad hustled to the hospital while I cried, still clinging to the hope that Keith was just in a really bad position for hearing his heartbeat. My regular doctor had never had a hard time finding his heartbeat in my appointments and it was always strong and loud. Thoughts like that did not help. Brad got to the hospital right as they brought in a nice ultrasound machine and the on-call doctor. A couple of very kind nurses didn't leave me alone in the meantime while I was anxiously awaiting his arrival and I was so grateful for that. With this ultrasound, the doctor was able to immediately confirm that there was no heartbeat and that my son had passed. We were absolutely heartbroken and in despair and angry and I just felt hopeless. I kept saying, what are we going to do? I couldn't believe that I could be five months pregnant with a seemingly perfect, healthy baby and then he could just be gone. I already loved him so much. We had made so many plans for his arrival. He was already a part of our family. I also was so worried about what this meant for the days to come and I knew we had so many decisions to make that I didn't know how to make or even how to think about. I was so grateful Brad was there. I imagined him being deployed during this pregnancy like so many of our friends had to do, and my facing it alone, and I don't know what I would have done. This is one of those things that you have to face with a partner because you have both lost your child, and it's not happening to anyone else in the same way, even if everyone around you loves you and supports you and is sad too. We were given the choice of staying in the hospital and inducing labor that night, or going home and coming back the next day. In a way, we just wanted to stay, but we knew the best thing would be to go home, get a somewhat good night's sleep, be the ones who talked to our kids about what had happened, and work on accepting our new reality before we had to go through labor. I also wanted to face it in the day instead of in the middle of the night. I don't think I've ever cried as much in my life as I cried that night. I had stopped crying before we left the hospital and then just felt like I was in a daze. We got home at about 2 a.m. and went right to sleep, and we both actually slept pretty well. Neither of us felt like we could begin to know how to tell the kids. We knew that they were going to be heartbroken because we have all been so excited about this pregnancy. With the deployment last year and all of my leg troubles, we had looked forward to this time in our lives so much where Brad was home, my leg was better, and we were growing our family. I knew Jane and Marin and probably Kate were old enough to really get what was going on and be deeply affected by this turn of events. Monday, April 20th. We had turned off all of our alarms because we knew that we were not going to have the kids go to school. Bruce slept in, which was unusual, and we were able to tell the girls without him around, which was a blessing. We had some time to cry and explain before we had Bruce around, who I'm sure wouldn't understand it or act in an appropriately reverently sad way for the situation. 
The girls were all crying, and so were Brad and I. They asked us questions like if I was going to die, or if they were going to die. Jane asked if there could be a miracle and he could come back to life. It was very hard, but I was grateful that we could talk a lot about forever families and how our Heavenly Father was taking care of Keith now. Bruce then woke up and we told him what had happened and he just said, no he didn't, and he put his hand on my belly. It was sweet, but hard to not know how to make him understand. He has been so excited to get a little brother and has been practicing saying Keith instead of Keith. We moved forward with our morning and ended up having a pretty nice time as a family, bonding and working through it. Jane and Maren cried off and on throughout the morning. After we ate breakfast, Brad made the kids a huge awesome fort in the family room, which they loved. We were scheduled to go back in the hospital after lunch at about 12.30. We packed a bag, ate some lunch, and then headed out. It was a beautiful spring day full of sunshine, and I was so grateful for that. Walking into our delivery room was hard because it was so big and beautiful, and we couldn't help but think of what we would be feeling if we were there to deliver Keith as a healthy baby. In fact, one of the harder parts about the hospital was accidentally forgetting that we weren't there for a normal delivery and having to remember all over again. For the most part, everything technically went about the same as our other four healthy deliveries, so it was easy to forget our special circumstances. I took some pills orally that immediately started contractions. They weren't strong at first, but steadily increased in intensity. I thought I'd want to feel them for a while to help my mind accept what was going on, but they made me so sad and discouraged so fast. I couldn't find the motivation to work through them since I wasn't working toward the delivery of a healthy baby. I also had some irrational fears when the contractions started that what if he wasn't really gone and there was a big mistake and now we were inducing labor and that would kill him because he wasn't old enough to live outside the womb. Your mind can do crazy things. The anesthesiologist was great and very kind. He made me feel good about choosing to have the epidural so quickly and not weak at all. I liked that I was able to lay down while he administered the epidural instead of having to sit up. It was a little painful but mostly just emotional and intense. Afterwards, I cried and shook for about an hour, even though the contractions were gone, because I had entered a new level of reality. I just couldn't believe that I had to go through all of this and it wasn't going to result in me having my baby to take home and care for and love forever. We passed the afternoon quietly, a few texts and phone calls, naps. I sent Brad out for a while to get some fresh air and dinner for himself. He also went home and helped Dan put the kids to bed. By about 8 p.m., Brad was back and my legs were back in my control, which is always nice. The epidural was working perfectly. When the sun went down, I got sad and discouraged. I was progressing very slowly, but they continued to warn me that it didn't take much to get a baby this small delivered and that it could all happen very quickly at any moment. I said a prayer to my Heavenly Father asking that our baby not come in the middle of the night. I wasn't sure if I could face it. I needed sleep, and then I needed sunshine to be strong enough to face the reality of my stillborn baby. My prayers were heard, and I was able to sleep off and on most of the night with very little progress in my labor. Tuesday, April 21st. I was happy it was morning and happy to be making some progress. I was dilated to 4 centimeters. They predicted I would only need to get to about 5 centimeters instead of the usual 10 centimeters, so delivery felt very close. However, contractions were still not strong and the baby was not moving down at all. All of the unknown of this part of the hospital stay was so hard. Not knowing how he would look, when he would come, why he had passed, what we would do after delivery, whether or not to get an autopsy, where to bury him, how to pay for it, if I would need a DNC, if we'd want pictures, if the doctor would be there, if the kids should be able to come see Keith, how long we'd have to be in the hospital, how my body would feel after, 
how my heart would feel after. If my parents should come, if we'd have a service, when to have a service, and it goes on and on. Nothing can prepare you for having to make these kinds of decisions. I told Heavenly Father that all of this was too much and that I couldn't do it. And he sent me the comforting feeling, you may not feel like you can do this, but we can. A little before noon, the nurse went to check me and Keith had moved all the way down and was ready to come out. My doctor was at a different hospital at that time, but hustled back to deliver Keith. I was so impressed with my doctor. She was so caring and compassionate. I'm a new patient of hers and I have literally only met her three times because that's how many appointments I have had with Keith. She was in the OR at Jordan Valley Hospital when we paged her to come back for my delivery. We had turned off the Pitocin and I was just keeping my legs together and trying to stay calm so that he wouldn't come out before we were ready. While we waited for the doctor to come, I was crying and so nervous. The nurses comforted me and brought in all the little blankets and hats and clothes that they were going to give us for Keith. People had made and donated these things to the hospital for people in our situation, with babies like ours. Dr. Twelves had a plan in place for someone to relieve her in the OR when she got the call to come to me. She was there ten minutes later and was fully huffing and puffing because she had been running. She was still very calm herself and calming to me. She gave me a hug and then got to work. We didn't put up the foot stirrups or anything. She just had me scoot over a bit and she climbed on the end of the bed with me and gently went to work on delivering my little baby. About 24 unimaginably hard hours later from checking into the hospital at 12.09 p.m. on April 21st, Keith was born weighing one pound and two ounces and measuring 12 inches long. I didn't even have to push one time. The doctor just helped him come out. The doctor and Brad were immediately able to see the cause of his passing. He had the umbilical cord around his neck three times tight and also wrapped around his chest and arm. He was all tangled up in it. It was so sad. They call this a cord accident. My doctor was confident this was the cause, but we still ended up sending the placenta to pathology to be analyzed. Because we knew the reason of his passing now, we didn't feel like we had to get an autopsy. After getting him untangled from his cord and clamping the cord, I got to see Keith for the first time as they placed him on a blanket on my chest. I cried and cried and touched his perfect little body all over. I was so grateful for how warm he was during these first moments. That was very comforting to me because his body cooled down very quickly. I couldn't believe how perfectly developed his body was. He had everything. I marveled at every part of his face, every fingernail and toenail, every bone in his body, his perfect chest, all ten perfect fingers and all ten perfect toes. He had eyebrows and eyelashes and even some hair on his head. He had fingerprints and knuckle creases. It was all so amazing. He had the most perfect mouth. I could not get enough of it. His lips were amazing and exactly the right color. He had a little tongue and gums. I loved it all so much. Some very clear and overwhelming messages came to me as I held his little body for that first time. The first was that he was mine. He was my son forever and ever. The second was that his mission was done. All he needed from this mortal life was to get a body. And as I admired this perfect little mortal body laying on my chest, I knew that was enough for him. Our only job left as his parents on this earth was to care for this body and give it a place to rest. His skin was very dark red, and he was swollen, which were more indications that he had been passed away for several days. 
I had to let the nurses take the baby because my doctor was working on delivering the placenta, which wasn't too bad, but quite uncomfortable. Brad stayed with me while the nurses weighed and measured Keith and got him wrapped up for us. My friend Lara spent an hour or so with us taking the most amazing, priceless pictures of our sweet boy. Because she has volunteered with the company, now I lay me down to sleep. She has experience with this exact type of situation and she just took over and took the most amazing pictures of our sweet boy that we will treasure forever. This made me so happy because neither Brad nor I was in any kind of mood to take pictures ourselves. We were both so wrapped up in the moment. I was also so happy that she was able to do it so quickly after he was born because he still looked pretty good. But the more we handled him and the more time that passed since his delivery, the worse he got. His body and skin were so fragile. After taking pictures, Lara climbed up on my hospital bed with me and let me see all of the pictures on her camera to see if there were any others that I wanted. One thing that was so amazing to me is after seeing the pictures, I couldn't believe how clear and calm and peaceful Brad and I both looked. I remember looking in the mirror on Monday morning before going to the hospital after crying so much on Sunday night, and I looked beyond sad and beyond tired, and my eyes were incredibly puffy and red. Since then, I had gone through 24 hours of labor, not a great night's sleep, and lots more crying. So in my mind, the only thing that made sense would be that I would look even worse than I looked in the mirror that Monday morning. After delivering Keith and the placenta, I simply ran a brush through my hair and changed into the gown that I kept from Kelly's time in the hospital before we took pictures. A pretty white hospital gown with small purple and pink flowers on it, much prettier than the blue central laundry gowns that you get from the hospital. But when you look at me in these pictures, I look so well rested, calm, clear, peaceful, happy and whole. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was so grateful that the worries and discouragement and despair of the previous couple of days were mostly gone and replaced by these wonderful feelings that I could now see clearly on my face in the pictures. That afternoon we had some quiet alone time with our sweet boy. We took naps, snuggled and cried. I wasn't sure how I would feel about spending time with Keith after he was delivered. I was worried that it would make me too sad, but it was the exact opposite. It may sound strange, but it didn't feel like he was dead. Even though I knew he was, it just seemed more like he was sleeping. We kept him all wrapped up because his body was so fragile. When I was busy with nurses or cleaning up or using the restroom, Brad held him. We took turns enjoying our time with him and never felt like we could leave him alone. That evening, Broomhead Mortuary came and discussed the details of how the next parts were going to go. We picked his burial box and made a plan for Saturday. After everything was decided, they gave us time to say goodbye and we took the opportunity to say a prayer with our baby. Then they took Keith's body into their care for the week. This ended up being one of the hardest parts of the day, which I didn't exactly expect. After that, I had a final checkout with my doctor and I was cleared to go home. It was so difficult to walk out of the hospital with no baby. We arrived home to see our beautiful kids who we miss so much. The first thing that Bruce said when he saw me was, Mom, you're all healthy. It must be very confusing to be three and not understand what is going on when big things like this happen. All he knows is we told him Keith is in heaven, mommy isn't pregnant anymore, and I had to spend some time in the hospital. The girls asked if I was okay and if we brought Keith home with us, and if I was still pregnant and what happened at the hospital. So clearly there was confusion all around. Bruce hadn't napped in days and was exhausted, so we got all the kids ready for bed and put Bruce to bed. Then, even though it was late and we were all very tired, we sat with the girls and talked all about the hospital, answered all of their questions cried and showed them all the little treasures we had for Keith. It was very emotional but healing and therapeutic. 
I found great comfort in comforting my children as they processed what all of this means. Ever since we told the kids about Keith's passing, my oldest Jane had asked several times if she could meet him or see him. I wasn't sure how to handle that scenario, so I kept telling her, maybe, and we'll see. When we got home from the hospital, one of the first things Jane asked me was if the doctor said if it would be okay for her to see the baby. I knew I couldn't just say no, because it was obviously very important to her, but I couldn't imagine letting her see him without her being scared. At this point, I was hoping that she'd be satisfied once she could see the pictures that Lara took. Wednesday, April 22nd through Friday, April 24th. The past few days, in between the hospital and Keith's memorial service, were filled with rest, good foods, snuggles with my beautiful children and amazing husband, visits from friends and loved ones, gifts, flowers, amazing acts of service. They were very healing and full of peace. At the same time, I did feel like I was holding my breath until I could get through the services on Saturday and then exhale. My parents came into town on Wednesday night to stay with us for the rest of the week and through the weekend, which helped a lot. Brad had some bereavement time at work, so he didn't have to return immediately. I had a couple of important visits during these days, first with my friend Kristen, who helped me so much during Kelly's passing. She lost her first baby at 23 weeks like me, and we were able to just visit and cry and enjoy a unique understanding that only comes from having gone through this experience. As she has been a source of strength for me, she has helped me realize that once you go through something like this, you join the ranks of women who have suffered the loss of a child, and you have a responsibility to help others on their way. I've had so many women this week share their sacred experiences of losing babies, whether it be miscarriages, stillborn babies, or even SIDS. They have come to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort, and I am overwhelmingly grateful. Although you wish no one had to go through this, it's comforting to know that I'm not alone and to see these courageous and strong women who have grown from their experiences, and that is what I am hoping to do. Another important visit on that lonely Wednesday was from my sweet friend and neighbor, Suzette, who is pregnant right now. She brought lunch for me and my kids, and our kids played while we visited. She sweetly admitted to me, that she was worried I wouldn't want to see her because it would make me sad. And I was so pleased to reassure her that it truly didn't. I didn't know how I would feel and I was so glad that I could still be happy for my dear friend who will be having a baby in September. On Sunday at church before this all started, we had a minute in the halls to hug and be so happy that we were both pregnant and excited to have babies at the same time. Even though I'm not pregnant anymore, I want to be able to be happy for other people and look forward to the future with hope. I've had so many meaningful and wonderful visits this week and was so touched by all the love. Too many visits to mention by name. I mentioned these two because they came on a particularly hard day. Saturday, April 25th. Today we had a beautiful service for Keith. I truly felt like there was only so much we could do to plan this day and then just hope for the best because I wasn't even sure what I wanted or what was the right way to do everything or what would make me feel better or what would be right for Keith or the best way to handle it for our children to find peace too. I have to say that everything about Saturday went so amazingly well and afterward looking back on it I'm able to say that it went exactly the way it was meant to. We never felt rushed or stressed. We even ran into a few bumps that just worked themselves out. We were all quite emotional, including the kids, but in a really healing way. It's amazing to feel so sad and so happy right in the same moment, and it was interesting to watch the kids go through that experience since they are not as practiced in articulating their feelings as Brad and I are. We woke up in the morning and ate breakfast and helped all the kids get dressed in their nice clothes. I freshened up all our beautiful flowers. Working with flowers is always very therapeutic for me. 
After everyone was ready, we sat down with the kids and helped them write sweet little love letters for Keith to put in his box with him. My husband and I had the privilege of preparing Keith's body for burial. When we got to the mortuary, we said a prayer in the car before going inside. I was expecting this part to be so hard and that I would be a wreck. I was quite surprised when it just wasn't. I think Brad and I both felt like we had said goodbye to Keith at the hospital and that today we were just finishing the important job that we had been entrusted with of taking care of his body and giving him a final resting place. He looked worse than he had the last time we saw him because he had lost a lot of fluid, but he was still just the body of my sweet baby boy. I bravely placed a tiny bracelet on his arm and I had a matching one on my wrist. Brad took off his hat and replaced it more securely. We wrapped him in a soft, white fleece blanket that had been donated to the hospital for us. Then we wrapped him in a beautiful blue crocheted blanket that was also from some unknown person sending their love. His body, wrapped in those beautiful soft blankets, filled his white 12-inch box perfectly. In the car afterward, I told Brad that I didn't know how this was all going to work letting our kids see Keith, but that we had to try, and I just knew somehow it would all work out. I went into our dining room table, and Brad sent the kids in one at a time, starting with Jane. I warned her about how he looked, about the blood on his little white hat, and about how I was only going to unwrap him a tiny bit so that she could just get a peek. I unwrapped the blanket just a little bit and found before me this perfect little view of just a small part of his forehead and one eye, and it didn't look scary at all. Jane was enthralled. She just looked and looked and smiled and asked questions. You could tell this was exactly what she needed and that she loved him so much. She was able to stroke his head where his hat was, and I was so grateful that it felt firm because his skull was not fully formed and his head was a little soft. You could just see in her face the way he became real to her, and I was so grateful that I didn't let this opportunity pass us by. After several minutes, I asked her if she was ready to say goodbye and let Marin have a turn, and she asked for just a little longer. As she said goodbye to him and cried, she slipped her little letter into the side of his box. I know that Keith knows how much his siblings love him. Marin's experience went well too, although she wasn't quite as into it as Jane. One funny thing she did say was, Kate is not going to like this. <laughs> when Kate came in, you could tell she was nervous. I started to warn her about the blood and how he looked, and she got more nervous and started breathing really fast. I reassured her that she didn't have to do this, but she said she really wanted to, so I let her see, and she immediately calmed down and said, Oh, he's so cute! <laughs> I was completely relieved. She stroked his head, and we talked for several minutes, and it was so great. We decided not to show Bruce because I worried it would only confuse him more. He seemed fine, and he didn't even know what we were doing in the other room, so he wouldn't feel like he missed out. All in all, I couldn't believe how well that experience went, and I'm so grateful that Heavenly Father helped us work that out for our kids. He is so mindful. During the sharing portion of Keith's service, I knew I had a lot in my heart that I wanted to share. I just hoped that I'd be able to do it. Dan went, then Carol, then my mom, then I knew it was my turn. I was able to sum up some of the sweet experiences that I had during the week and share some of the things that I had learned. I will try to recount some of what I shared here. One important thing I learned this week was that as I looked back over my trials from the last couple of years, losing Kelly, Brad's deployment, my leg injuries, and now losing my baby, I started to feel sorry for myself. And then I realized something very important. Even though I had been through all of these hard things very recently, I could honestly say that I am a whole person. I'm not broken or jaded. I'm happy and hopeful. I feel lucky and grateful. 
To me, that is irrefutable evidence that my Heavenly Father who loves me and my Savior who knows what it feels like to go through everything I have gone through carried me through those hard times. Each time I went to them and said, this is too much. I can't do this. And their reply was, we can. I didn't merely survive each trial, but I grew and became more of the person that I am meant to be, which is exactly why God allows us to have trials. They are actually a blessing and an opportunity to turn to him, to grow closer to him, to strengthen ourselves and our testimonies, to reach our potential. I have come to learn that another important aspect to trials, if they are the kind that can be shared with others, I call these public trials where some trials are private and cannot be shared. We go through trials for other people too. We have a responsibility to share throughout our trial, share the pain, share the tender mercies, share the humbling parts and the strengthening parts, share the lessons learned. We do this so that others can learn from our trial and it can help put their own lives into perspective. The experience is not just for us, but for everyone around us who is willing to let it into their lives. During Keith's service, I also shared how I knew of my responsibility to take care of my little boy's body. Another amazing insight that has come to me this week is not only do I love Keith, but he loves me. And he is so grateful to me for going through this hard experience for him. He is so glad I'm his mom, and I am eternally grateful that he is my son. He knows our family and loves us so much. My dad dedicated the grave. It was a touching and simple dedication, and right in the middle of it, the clouds parted and the sun came pouring through. It had been cloudy and gray all morning, and my mom said that when my dad was saying the words, Please bring comfort to this family. That was when the sun came shining through. It was so bright and warm. I had to open my eyes and look around and enjoy it for a moment during the prayer. About ten minutes later, we were in full cloud cover again, and the sun was gone. It was a little miracle for our family, a tender mercy, a message from our baby that he was okay and that we would be too. I would like to end with a poem that I read at my son's graveside entitled Love in Every Tear. Oh, precious, tiny, sweet little one, you will always be to me so perfect, pure, and innocent, just as you were meant to be. We dreamed of you and of your life and all that it would be. We waited and longed for you to come and join our family. We never had the chance to play, to laugh, to rock, to wiggle. We longed to hold you, touch you now, and listen to you giggle. I'll always be your mother. He'll always be your dad. You will always be our child, the child that we had. But now you're gone, but yet you're here. We'll sense you everywhere. You are our sorrow and our joy. There's love in every tear. Just know our love goes deep and strong. We'll forget you never. The child we had but never had, and yet will have forever. That is the end of my account of that time, and it's been an honor to share it with you today. Thank you so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please go to my website, simplyresilient.net, to download my free guide to thriving during deployment. I also love when you share this podcast with your friends and rate and review it. Remember that when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out.